Welcome everyone to FOSVAG stage. Here we have our last participant of the day. I've been trying to get him on this podcast for a while. Welcome to Wolfgang Gehring. Gehring, yeah. Gehring. Gehring. Wolfgang <laughs> is the OSPO head at Mercedes-Benz. Need to correct it, at Mercedes-Benz Tech Innovation. Tech Innovation, what's the difference? The difference is Mercedes-Benz Tech Innovation is a 100% IT subsidiary of Mercedes-Benz Group AG. And Mercedes, so Mercedes-Benz Group is the big mother company, yep. and we're IT techie guys. So what's the size differential? How much is... How oh, so is? the whole Mercedes-Benz Group has... I think close to 200,000 employees. Plus all of the franchises, which aren't technically employees, but just run shops to sell Mercedes-Benz, right? Yes. Sure. Great. Okay, next. And uh, Mercedes-Benz Tech Innovation, we are about 1,300 people. And you're the one who founded the OSPO, I believe. Yeah, we, yeah, we did just recently. Last year, two years ago? It was last year. Before our group, we called it the FUS Competence Group. And we have renamed it, slightly rearranged, reformed, yeah. Cool. And how many people are in your OSPO? There is, at the moment, nine of us. That's massive. Comparatively. So yeah. you gave a talk at FOSS Summit oh, well, yeah. last September in Dublin, and where I met you at the breakfast track, which is always the best track. This <laughs> conference, I also met you at the breakfast track. During those conversations, it came out that car manufacturers are not really known for collaboration on open stuff. You don't think of cars and then think open source. You're trying to change this. Tell me about what you did last December. Yeah, so we hosted the first Mercedes-Benz FOSS convention. And we got about 80 people together. So that was people from the OSPOs, other big companies such as Porsche, Volkswagen, Audi, BMW, but also outside of OEMs that we had at Continental and Bosch. Siemens as well, right? And Siemens. SAP was there. Cool. Roche from the farm industry. and Big a, a, continental tech giants. Yeah, we had Inditex from Spain as well. Cool. So it was international, yeah. Yeah. And what was the purpose of that? Why did you have that? And the purpose was, well, to get everyone together and talk about open source stuff. How did you get by the antitrust issues? Oh, so we only talked about open source. And we actually made that explicit at the beginning of the conference. We said, obviously... Antitrust laws are there. We yep. cannot talk about the usual stuff that is covered by antitrust. So only open source relevant things. Which enabled you to talk about how to collaborate in the open about things. Now, what do you do at your OSPO with your nine people? Do you have a FOSS fund? Do you support things internally? Do you run dependencies? Do you go to conferences? Do you say sponsor FOSS backstage? So basically all of that. Cool. Yeah. I should mention, though, that we work very closely together with the Mercedes-Benz Group AG. So this FOSS Center of Competence is what it's called there. That's sort of the OSPO at Mercedes-Benz AG. Yeah, we work extremely closely together with them. So all of what we do is in accordance with them, in collaboration with them. So, for example, in FOSS Backstage sponsoring, you mentioned, we're a premium sponsor for the FOSS Backstage. That was paid for by our IT colleague Christian Wege from the FOSS Center of Competence. Vielen Dank, Christian. <laughs> cool. You gave a talk. Yeah. What was it on? So I talked about a vision of FOSS at Mercedes-Benz. So basically our journey, which we started about six, seven years ago. We don't do FOSS, like FOSS open or inner source, to we are going all in on open and inner source. So that was, yeah, six, seven years ago. And I talked about our journey, how we got there, what inspired us, 
and the crucial steps that we took to mm-hmm. get there, where we are now. There, so I think we have achieved quite a bit. Still a long road ahead of us, of course. There's so many things to do still. Could you point me to some of the signs on that road? Like what's happening? What's the next turn? What's interesting? So right now, one of our big projects is a software bill of materials, SBOMS. We are working on a project called the FOSS Disclosure Portal. So to optimize that, that's our colleague David Schum. He's the product owner. And then several people from Mercedes-Benz Tech Innovation are the developing this. So that's going to be rolled out this year sometime. I think that's a good step. What else are you doing? One of the big things that I would like to achieve now is, so see, we are already using FOSS. Obviously, that's not very difficult. I mean, it's difficult in terms of you have to pay attention to licenses and risks and all that. Experiment, yeah. All right. I think we got that down pretty well. We are also contributing to open source projects. And we have published some of our own projects as open source. However, in those latter compartments, we need to get better or we want to get better. So more contributions, more more of our own projects as open source, right? We want to work on enabling our community more and more to do open source contributions, publishing. And then also inner source is another thing that we are doing inner source. We have some very successful inner source projects, but too many not yet successful inner source projects. Okay, so that's another thing. How do you manage your internal to external pipeline? You said you want to have more projects externally. Do you have those projects already in mind or are they going to be inner source projects that you're just going to open source? So there's so many ways to do it. From inner to open source is one way. Yeah, or open source first, I guess. Open source first is one way. So many different departments development teams and each has have their own way sort of so basically a lot of your job is trying to get people working together lots and lots of talking yes yeah yes lots of talking and enabling them creating the prerequisites yeah. making it easy for them so obviously there are always legal requirements that are very important and maybe we started out with very strict requirements we're trying to soften them once we see that our engineers are aware of the risks and can do their job and can do open source without risking things, right? Do you have a plan for how you talk to your like lawyers about making that easier? Like how do you de-risk? Oh, we have lawyers in our team, in the OSPO, exactly. So at Mercedes-Benz Tech Innovation, we have two colleagues that are governance. Then in the Mercedes-Benz Center of Competence, we have a whole legal team. So That's rare, I feel like. I yeah, feel really. No, I think it's very important to have that. See, I think every company works differently and yes. there's no blueprint for every OSPO. Like no OSPO is the same. Yeah, yeah. I feel what is working quite well for us is we have governance and yeah. legal people yeah. in the OSPO. We have community management and we have tech guys, of course. So that seems to be a good mix, I think. I'm really fascinated just by the size how were you able to get the budget that you have to do what you do? Because it seems to be the largest issue for a lot of Osbos. Yeah. Especially in this economy right now, right? Where the Osbos themselves are getting slashed. So how did you manage that? Do you have a really just welcoming CTO who's like, have all the money? So yes, our CIO of Mercedes-Benz yeah. Group is very much in favor of FOSS and very fond of the subject, as is the CEO, well, of Mercedes-Benz, actually, Ola Kelenius, but also the CEO of Mercedes-Benz Tech Innovation, Daniel Geisel. He's also a fan of FOSS. So having said that, we need to 
see how we can finance ourselves. So we, as Mercedes-Benz Activation, we get money from the mother company. Well, the mother company gets money from their individual, like IT. So the IT department, so to speak, is contributing money to the OSPO, as is the IT, as is R&D, the research and development part. They contribute all of you're drawing from multiple sources and you're not... Exactly. And you're based in a smaller one, but you have basically green lights at all level of management above you. I would say yes. Yeah. Which is awesome. That's really cool. Uh Uh-huh. When you're having your Mercedes-Benz FOSS convention last year and you brought in these other people to talk about open source, did you share resources on how to adequately get these green lights to work? Because I know a lot of other manufacturers would like to be in open source well if they're showing up at that conference. But I'm just curious, like, how would you suggest that other large industrial open source program offices get started? So the first prerequisite, I think, is that you need to do some internal evangelization, like make it clear that it's not an option to not FOSS anymore. And once that has reached sufficiently high levels of management, then make it clear, hey, and in order to do that properly, we need an OSPO. Because if you don't have an OSPO that, you know, concentrates the efforts, then you will have this department doing open source and that department doing... And they're not talking to each other. They're not aligned. There's not one open source strategy for the company. And so so all the things that an OSPO does are done in all over the place. And I think they need to be concentrated. Obviously, Mercedes-Benz is a very large name and probably multi-billion dollar company. I didn't look it up on Wikipedia before. (laughs) Are you involved at all with EU policy on open source? Commenting on the Cyber Resiliency Act. So I am also involved with the Eclipse Foundation. So it has been brought to our attention that the Cyber Resiliency Act is there. And in its current forum, would be very detrimental to open source as a whole in Europe. All in all, it means very well. The intention overall is good. It's just that a few of the passages need to be revised because they would be, as I said, really bad for open source in Europe altogether. So... We have spoken in our OSPO about this and how we would like to approach this. And so we are in the process of figuring this out. But the idea is that we talk to, well, some people at the European Union to get them to change it. I think it can be fixed easily. Well, easily. Lawmaking is probably never easy. Yeah. (laughs) But I think it can be fixed. And they need to understand that There are problems with the act as it is written right now. Because, see, I think the people voting on the act, they're not aware of these things. So we're not doing lobbying because it's bad for Mercedes. We're trying to make them understand if you pass the act unchanged, it will have these consequences. And they're going to be bad for all of us in Europe, any industry, open source as a whole. So would you suggest that the best thing for an industrial OSPO to do to basically have a say in large policy decisions is to join a consortium like the Eclipse Foundation? So for example, because the foundations are doing great work and great jobs and they understand these things maybe better than companies do. Our main thing is we build cars and great vehicles and transportation. But the Eclipse Foundation, they do open source. They have understood this first and so, yes, I think the foundations are doing a tremendous job, be the Eclipse Foundation, Linux Foundation, Cloud Native, and a bunch of others, of which we are a member, by the way, because we 
understand their value in open source. I'm realizing now that I've talked to a few large companies based in Germany. Per Plug I've had on the podcast before from right, Spotify. Right. Obviously, Spotify is not the same as a car manufacturer, but they're quite a large company comparatively. They have a pretty huge reach. Do you have a section of your OSPO dedicated towards like American intelligence and like gathering stuff about the American economy? Because you're German. And I just wonder, you know, EU law isn't the only thing that applies to you. Also, the American tech scene applies to you. So I'm just curious, would you ever have like another branch of the OSPO in the U.S. Mercedes-Benz group? The things that we talk about in our OSPO or in the mothership companies center of competence they apply to all branches of mercedes-benz so okay. us as well however they have their own individual laws so i am not aware of there being let's say a us ospo in mercedes-benz so and i don't think that's actually the idea either because this is for all of mercedes yeah i'm not saying it should be i was just thinking the, given the size of your ospo i'm curious like what are the next steps for you besides hiring some developers and putting more stuff in the open both great tasks, but I'm just curious, like five, 10 years, what's your dream vision? Oh, my dream vision yeah. is to make Mercedes-Benz a fully open source savvy company. Now we still have to do a lot of explaining and a lot of why this is good and how to do it and so forth. And I hope that in five years, these questions will be answered and people will just do open source because they understand it's a great thing for everybody. So fun question, Mercedes cars. Beautiful vehicles, very large. Thank you. We have small ones too. John Deere, beautiful tractors, very large. John Deere is the other side of the spectrum for what open source is, right? They have all the code in the tractors is proprietary. You're not allowed to hack on the code if you're a farmer, if your tractor breaks down. You have to take it to a John Deere distributor. And they're very aggressive at pursuing any sort of IP risks. They're just like 100% no, mm -hmm. this is our stuff. Why the difference? Why is it that John Deere are so close, whereas Mercedes is like, let's be an entirely open source company? Like, well, how do you do that? Okay, so I have no understanding of what John Deere does, to be honest. I don't know what their policy on open source or IP is. Don't misunderstand one thing. We're not opening all of the software, for example, that's inside a vehicle. You can't do that for two reasons. One is that's how we make money say an algorithm for autonomous driving, we will not open source that. Okay. So right? when you said you want it to be an entirely open source company, what did you mean? Yeah. So I mean, in all things that are not related to IP, you know, that give us a competitive advantage, how we make money, yeah. we can't open source that, right? Okay. But all the other stuff can be open sourced. All the things where we work together, for example, we have recently joined as a strategic member to software defined vehicle working group within the Eclipse Foundation. So a bunch of car manufacturers and other software companies get together to design stuff based around, well, software-defined vehicle. For example, you create a base upon which each manufacturer builds their competitive advantage things. But all the base stuff, not everybody needs to reinvent that wheel over and over again. We can all work together on this. So we have the basis, work together on that. On top, we build our algorithms for driving Mercedes autonomously, or BMW does the same thing, or BMW is not a member yet. Other companies, right? Volkswagen is there, for example. Cool. Okay, I got it. 
And uh, the second reason, by the way, we don't want to open source everything that's inside the car. Also security, right? Yeah, it's a problem. Uh, You know, we pay very much attention to security. You don't want people to hack your vehicle. So I know that you've contributed before to FOSS funds. You've talked about that internally. You've talked about that at one of the last talks you gave. Where can people find out information about that and information about your OSPO online? We do GitHub sponsors. Yeah, we pay money to projects that are on GitHub. It has been my plan for a while to add other forms of payment like open source collective. That would be nice. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I haven't gotten around to doing it yet, but you can just go to our GitHub site, github.com, Mercedes-Benz, and you can find all the projects that we currently sponsor and that we have sponsored in the past. Where can Um, people find your information online? The information, we have an open source landing page. Cool. And you can find it at opensource.mercedesbenz.com. Excellent. And uh, yeah, there's some stuff there. But to be honest, we went live with that page about a year ago. There are some blog articles. We have to get better at writing more stuff. Also, you can find our open source projects. Again, the plan is to add more here. And you can find our FOSS manifesto. That's a really good thing, right? That is cool. That's a manifesto that you wrote that talks about how you think about open source at the company and how you authentically engage in participating with the open source communities as an OSPO. Yes, exactly. We love that FOSS manifesto because it really gives our engineers not just, you know, you're allowed to do open source, but we're sending them on a mission to do open source. It's like, please, the company asks you, go do open source, inner source, and obviously on company time, and before you build custom code, please go and see if there is something in open source, inner source, and so forth. So you can find the FOSS manifesto there. You can download it. There is a repo on GitHub and you can take the manifesto and we put it under Creative Commons zero license, so cool. least restrictive one. Excellent. You can do with it whatever you like. You can use it as a blueprint, for example, for your company. Change it, add things, whatever you want. I think that's nice. So Continental AG, by the way, they have just a few weeks ago adopted the FOSS manifesto cool. to the Continental AG FOSS manifesto. Nice. Yeah, and just so do a Google search, you'll find it easily. It's really nice. I love it. They have taken ours as a blueprint and adopted it to their company values and yep. specifics. And I think it's really cool. Wolfgang, it's been great having you on. Thank you so much. And let me just add one more thing. In Oh, maybe. I don't know when this podcast is coming out. You can find it at KubeCon too in Amsterdam. That's in April. Excellent. If it comes up before April, go to KubeCon. We can try and make that happen. Wolfgang, it was great. You're on LinkedIn if people want to reach yeah, out to you. Yes. Probably also on the Fediverse, Twitter, maybe those things. No, Not on Twitter. just LinkedIn. Also, <laughs> also very good. Yeah. Use Matrix. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Great. And take care. Yeah, thanks. See you at the next breakfast. Bienvenido, eh, Yokozo, and all the other things. Welcome to Sustain. Here we are again at Berlin, which I guess is Willkommen, Willkommen, yeah, Willkommen uh, nach Berlin. So here at FOSS backstage, and we're having another podcast today with Anna Jimenez, who we have had on this podcast before. Anna, it's great to have you on. Hi, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. And we're going to talk about some new things. Now, we just hosted you, Anna, at State of the Open. For people who've listened to that podcast, I'm actually not even sure it's gone out by the time this is being recorded, but by the time you hear this, it will have gone out. We talked a bit about her work helping to run the Ospology sessions and the to-do group in general, trying to figure out how Ospos can work together, which is really cool. Do you have any new updates on Ospo stuff that you want to talk about? 
Well, I would say that the local OSPO communities keep growing and it's really exciting to see them popping up. How is OSPOlogy live in the Netherlands? Isn't that like a conference now? Yeah, that was a micro conference. Cool. Yeah, I think it's gaining momentum. Other organizations across Europe also willing to host something similar in different countries. Still, there are not many updates on that. That's okay. That's okay. Where can people go to learn more about Ospology and to do group? So there is a GitHub repo about Ospology. It's to do group slash Ospology. And in there, you will find a bunch of different meetings and meetups and also artifacts. Like we have the Ospo newsletter. Cool. There is an Ospo mind map project that is hosted also in Ospology. Which you started, which is the best. <laughs> And many other fun projects to, which to get started, started. Which are the best? No. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the community, it's helping a lot. And I'm happy that, well, even though the things are getting started, the community nurtures it and it's advancing, which is the most important thing, I guess. Awesome. So there's that section. If you want to learn more, we also had you on the full podcast once on Sustain. You can go to podcast.sustainoss.org to access that which is super fun. Putting that aside, you are here today at Vospex Age and you're giving a talk later on sustainability and sustaining open source with OSPOs. For those of us who aren't privileged enough to be in the room and hear that talk, can you tell us a bit about what you're going to talk about? Yeah, so we've seen the word OSPO popping up everywhere. Right now it's becoming more like a trend, but I think this talk was important to raise awareness because, well, OSPOS is not just a trend. There is people in their roles in the OSPO helping to bring more sustainable open source ecosystems. I mean, there are many ways organizations can help sustainability. I think this is something that everyone knows here, like through funding, through contributions, through adopting open source best practices within the organization. But sometimes having this public face, within the organization can be key to actually making this activity strip in the organization. Because even though everyone knows quite clearly, like, yeah, this is the many ways organizations can help to sustain open source. Sometimes it's not that easy to just say it and apply it because of there is an internal cultural process going on. People in the organization doesn't understand open source. So how OSPO roles can help to make those activities thrive in the organizations? How can they make the employees, for instance, if we are talking with a private organization, contribute healthy to these open source projects? And what is more important, how can the organization get in contact with the different open source actors, maintainers, independent projects, foundations, and so on? And vice versa, how can they get in contact with the organizations? So if the organizations are doing open source ad hoc, I'm not saying that that is wrong, but might be kind of chaotic. And OSPOS can be there to put order into chaos, basically. That's really interesting. <laughs> and it's interesting because I'm going through and thinking about a lot of the suppositions we have around how OSPOS function and how they make a community more sustainable. It is true that funding a project leads to it being more sustainable 
when the funding is long term and when the goals are clear of that funding. Sometimes adding money to a project can kill the project. We've seen that happen. It's not common, but definitely there's misaligned incentives. Sometimes corporations come into a project, take over the project and then dump it. We've seen that before as well, right? There's really bad ways. There's anti-patterns of open source, right? Which totally suck. When you talk about bringing order to chaos, I think about the history of open source where a lot of open source was just built chaotically. Why do we need to bring order to it? Does that actually help the ecosystem at large? Oh, I don't mean to bring order into the open source ecosystem, but in the process where organizations can operate in a healthy way with this open source ecosystem. Got it. Okay. So by having an OSPO, you're stopping anti-patterns and putting more reliability on corporate investment in open source. Yeah, because at some point, one of the many different roles of the OSPO might be an educator Cool. for organizations. And sometimes the key point of that, like, yes, you can contribute, but there are rules of contributing without harming the ecosystem. So how can we make sure that the organizations knows how to contribute in a healthy way that doesn't harm the ecosystem, that doesn't just say, let's fund this project, take over. What the hell? Exactly. Okay. Historically, I feel like a lot of the people who are working in the OSPO lands talk a lot to each other. When you talk about education, do you mean talking to people outside of the OSPO, inside those companies, or do you mean talking to open source maintainers at large? I'm talking about different ways of talking. Okay. So the OSPO must need to talk within the organization to high-level managers within the teams and also if they have a team in their teams and they need to transmit these open source values hmm. within the organization. Hmm. But they should be also be able to communicate with this external open source ecosystem and receive feedback, get that feedback from that community and transmit their needs to hmm. the organization. Hmm. I know like when I see it this way, it might be sound difficult, but it's how some hospitals have been doing with some initiative, for instance, or at least trying to. Can you point to some data that tells you mm. that OSPOs make a more sustainable ecosystem as a whole mm-hmm. instead of just changing it to make it easier? So there is some data in the past OSPO survey okay. that we did in Tutor Group, there was two interesting insights we found out. The first one was that 60% of organizations that have an established OSPO yeah. contributing to upstream projects. Okay. So 65% of those that contributed to upstream projects, they had an OSPO. Okay, so the majority have OSPOs. Yeah, is is exactly. that correlated to whether or not they would have had an OSPO or is it causative? Does having an OSPO make you more likely to contribute? Or do you have an OSPO because you're already contributing a lot? Oh, yeah. That is something that we not sure yet. Okay. But what we found is that, okay, in the data, when we interview people, yeah. the ones that said, I contribute this upstream to yep. the project, they marked yes as I have an OSPO. Okay. So that's what we got. We didn't deep dive into more data. Is this a survey that you did internally at do? No, that is open. It's in a GitHub repository. Cool. All the data, people yeah. can access the data and can access the results. It's to the group slash OSPO survey. But were the people who were allowed to fill out this survey, were they all to do group members? No. Okay, they, cool. They, right. It's open. And actually yeah. the next year, so this year we're going to be opening soon to fill out this data and every people from organizations can take the survey. In fact, last year we got 
I think twice as people filling out the survey compared with last year, which was great. We had organizations from different regions and okay. sectors, which was kind of cool to see like all that diversity increasing. Yeah. And another important insight we got was about the open source best practices. So yeah. we found out also that 85%, yeah, that was 85% of organizations that had an OSPO had a clear understanding of open source best practices hmm. compared to the ones that didn't. I know it's small data, but it's something that, for instance, one of the things we want to focus in the next survey for this year, it's about sustainability and security and how OSPOs are addressing those two important topics. So maybe we might be able to get more insights on that. Interesting. I'm really curious. Do you have any thoughts on the idea that corporate investment in open source leads to a less sustainable project by prioritizing the needs of people who are able to justify their investment in a corporate setting, as opposed to maintainers who just want to work on a project on their own? and aren't interested in funds for that. Basically, I'm trying to figure out, like, OSPOs are great. We all talk about OSPOs. We talk about having a more sustainable ecosystem. But I often wonder, like, are we building a more sustainable ecosystem in general? And the way I would tell is I would look at a project and say, does donating from a corporate perspective actually make that project better? And does having people who are paid or able to figure out their worth in a project for a corporation, that's got to influence the project in some ways. And so I'm always kind of curious, like, do you have any data that shows that actually it does lead to more sustainability? You just said it's something you want people to address. You want Oswald to talk about sustainability. But I'm really curious, like, how do we know that that's actually helping out the ecosystem at large and not just helping out corporate interest? And this is kind of the question I've been asking this whole interview. It's just really hard to ask because I feel like it's kind of a digging question because it gets to the whole root of like, what do Osbos do? I know that they help corporations talk to each other. I know that they help large projects that are charismatic, that are able to say, I have a need, come help me with my need. And I know they're helpful to policymakers who are interested in things like supply chain security. But that's a small segment of the entire open source ecosystem. And so I'm always trying to figure out, like, are we scratching our own itch by building OSPOs or are we actually building a more sustainable ecosystem at large? And if so, what does sustainability mean? So that's why it's so hard for me to frame this question, because it's just way too large. Do you have any thoughts on that, I guess? So you were asking about insights and data out yeah. there. I mean, what I know is about initiatives that organizations have been doing, but I don't have the data on how that is actually directly impacting the open source sustainability. Like we know, like, for instance, the Spotify Fast Fund, yep. Indeed Contributors Fast Fund, now the GitHub sponsor thing, try to support these maintainers. And those are tools and initiatives that can help to identify not only like the large projects, but also try to help these independent maintainers, which mm. I think it's also another phase that sometimes is not seen when thinking about open source sustainability. I also wanted to point out, you were mentioning about the open source anti-patterns. Yeah. I also given my talk something about the OSPO anti-patterns. Cool. Because I guess that, of course, OSPOs can be useful to address open source sustainability, but if they are not handling well, they can harm yeah. open source sustainability. And let's put an example. Because OSPOs are a trend, let's start an OSPO, but the organization doesn't know 
what open source means to them in the first place. They haven't assessed the open source readiness. And sometimes when we are talking about how to help open source sustainability, from an organizational point, the organizational first needs to address what open source means to them. What kind of open source activities are they doing? How are they doing? And where do they want to achieve in the long term? So by asking those questions, by assessing those questions, and if they think that, oh, maybe an OSP is a good way to go because we are doing a lot of open source, even though we don't contribute back, we really want to contribute back because we understand the value of what is given back and go beyond that. Sometimes that small thing can make a war to what is doing open source sustainability from our organizational perspective or not helping at all. Coming back to your question, I don't have the answer to that. Me neither. That's okay. (laughs) Yeah, but it is interesting to think about. And what's also really cool about your work is that you're often thinking about how do we make OSPOs work as better vehicles, which involves, as you say, educating. Because a lot of the people who were in the early OSPOs or even until, you know, past decade, were people who were already open source maintainers. They'd been in this industry for a long time. A lot of them started out as software developers. A lot of them were working in nonprofits that were dedicated to the code and then switched into corporate environments if it's a corporate OSPO that we're talking about. And so they have the best interests at heart. But in order to continue to grow OSPOs as a concept, we have to actually expand our field and we have to educate people more. We have to educate people who weren't open source developers, who don't have a ton of experience with GitHub. I bring all this up because I know that's something that's also dear to your heart. Do you want to talk about educating the non-initiates on how to become OSPOs? Yeah, so I soon started a YouTube channel, basically because I found out like the open source world, even though it promotes this accessibility for everyone, it's Mm. open to everyone, sometimes it gets too technical. It looks like either you're an academic professor or a student or you are already in the tech stuff but if you're outside and even though it's out there people doesn't know how to talk the language of open source because there is a lot of tech jargon like tech language so part of the mission of starting this educational channel is to try to teach open source in an easy way to those audience that are not familiar with the tech stuff to have it be more accessible. And actually, I'm also doing this in Spanish, even though it's translated also in English. Of course, there is material in English, but when doing my research of, okay, so I make this channel, I just found out like in Spanish is almost no content at all. I mean, there is a small content in English for non tech audience, but if you're thinking in Spanish, just forget about that. So that's why I'm starting that in English. You can find me on, is my YouTube hashtag is at Anna, J-S, Anna, J-S like JavaScript, even though I don't know JavaScript, this is my surname. Oh, it's quite fun. You could learn. And I just released my first chapter on cool. how OSPOs are helping AIs to thrive. Interesting. Okay, cool. I really like that. Do you know how many people speak Spanish in the world as a first language? I don't know if I read the numbers, but I think more people than English speakers. There are yeah. more Spanish speakers than English speakers in general in the world. It's a very small market. That's really fascinating. I wonder when you talk about 
teaching open source? You mean teaching some of the tools or the like? And I wonder that because Bogdan Vasilescu has a wonderful paper that pointed out that GitHub is actually more toxic than your average online community. And that like open source in general is not always a nice place to be. So when you say teaching open source and the language open source, you mean teaching about the technical jargon or teaching about healthy communities and how to build a nice OSPO, which isn't all of them? This is going to be more general because it's more about teaching the audience the importance of open source nowadays mm. and maybe sharing what's going on right now. Cool. Like what is being built on top of open source and the importance of making open source sustainable and why it matters. Like sometimes people doesn't realize that all the tools out there, even though they are not open source, at some point open source is in the heart of those tools. Cool. And it's time to protect that ecosystem. So it's more like general thing. Of course, maybe in one of the chapters, I talk about a specific stuff like licenses, but more broader and basic stuff. And maybe some tools that, well, for instance, around design that I love open source design and design tools that are open source. But that will be like small chapters. I still working on the script. That's really cool. I like that. You've got to talk to... Pablo, who's here from Penpot, the founder of Penpot is here. We had him on earlier. And listeners do listen to that episode. It was really cool. They're based in Madrid. They're a Spanish company as well. I know um, them. Yeah. yeah, I'm super fan of them, actually. <laughs> so cool. So cool. And if you're building a series about sustainability and open source in Spanish, you should just build that with sustain. Maybe you should co-brand that because that's the whole point. So that would be really cool. I would love that. I, lo siento por la media español. It's really bad. I don't speak it. But that's awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for sharing and thanks for coming on again. Sorry for asking you very tough questions as I do every single time. I have to be nicer as a person. Where can people find you online again? Yeah. So I'm on Mastodon at N-J-S-N. Like it's the same on Twitter as well, but you need to add a 95 because someone stole my name. And on LinkedIn, Ana Jimenez Santa Maria. And that's Anna with one N, right? Yeah. Excellent. Ana, muchas gracias. Thank you for coming on. This is excellent. Thank you so much for inviting me. 